in Ukraine and Russia, it's really hard to know what is truly going on. So we had a unique opportunity to speak to someone that had family from both sides, from Russia and Ukraine. The government currently in Russia controls every single thing. The courts, the police, everything. So they don't, um, they don't have, like, they don't run independently. So that's why they just do whatever they said. And if you know someone who can pay some money for such certain things that can be done in Russia, like in Russia, even though I tried, I tried my best to get my driving license in Russia without paying a dollar, but I couldn't. So I had to pay still. Even though I went to a driving school. I did. I tried my best to do uh, to do all the exams and stuff, and it just wasn't possible. And also, we, we talk about his journey of coming to New Zealand, not knowing English, being an introvert, trying to build his business, and the complexity and the beauty that he can create in the digital world. I just decided to challenge myself and start. Okay, if I'm afraid of coming to the person, I should go and do it. I should go and do it and see what happens let's kick into it welcome welcome to the podcast your Good. first ever podcast is yeah, it yeah first ever podcast thanks for having me pleasure mate pleasure um i, always, I we talked off here a little bit about introversion mm-hmm. which I, I think will be an interesting topic because for the longest time i thought i was an introvert mm-hmm. but i realized only recently i actually get energy from people okay but they scare me so i think i'm extroverted but fearful of people so I'm wondering, what is, I guess, your experience being with introverted? Like, what, at school, was it easy to make friends, or did you shit yourself, or what? It, uh, yeah. So for me, I always been scared to get to unknown person and talk to him. Mm. So for me, it was very scary to to say something, or maybe to say something wrong, maybe say something which they don't understand or offensive and stuff. So I was thinking about all that stuff. It was like kind of a stoppers in my hand, mm. uh, in my head. But in, And then I just decided to challenge myself and start to, okay, if I'm afraid of coming to the person, I should go and do it. I should go and do it and see what happens. It, it, it ended up being really nice. People usually are friendly. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So... I could be in the mood, like if I'm on a festival, for example, um, like New Zealand Spirit or Resolution Festival. Have you oh, been to any of those? No, I mean, I lived in a hippie community and oh, okay. um, yeah, travel yeah. around the world. So I know festivals well, but not this yeah, one. Yeah, like first few festivals was very hard. People are so open there. They come to you and then chat to you. So I was like, oh, okay, like watch. <laughs> like I should respond somehow. And like I, th- like I felt like all my responses are dumb. They're like, oh no. And then uh, after some time being in those festivals by getting some friends over there, it's getting easier and easier. But festival is different. Like when, I, when I'm when i in in kind of business um, stuff, that's that's usually, or just talking a lot to, to a random person on the street, I probably won't be able to do that. Interesting. Yeah, I have the same challenge. So I, I told some of it to you off year, year but like I, I, I only had like $20 left. And my mom... I said she'd pay for uni and I paid for it like years ago. So I was like, fuck it. I'll, I'll try and pitch mum to give me some money. Mm-hmm. And I wrote down what I want to achieve in life, which is to help people live fulfilling lives. But I was really scared of people. Mm-hmm. So I spent $2 on tie because she said no. And then she's like, I'm not going to give you money. I'm like, fuck. So I spent $2 on a tie and then went in to do like commissionary sales. And the first time I went to stop someone, they tell you you meant to build a relationship. Oh, wow. And I went to shake hands with this guy. And he was holding like a bag and I shook his thumb because I didn't know what to do. And he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, trying to build a relationship. 
<laughs> oh nice but yeah so it's it's been interesting like i found certain things that were quite useful like um like my sugar levels so if i eat consistently and don't have a drop in my sugar levels i don't have the same fight or flight anxiety mm. the other thing i noticed was like focusing on my breath and meditation so then i don't get those thoughts what, what has there been things that have been helpful for you in terms of communicating with people well some time ago, uh, because I don't drink alcohol now, but uh-huh. when I had a little bit, that, that helped me to relax and make it, it was easier to talk to people. So now I haven't been drinking for two years already. And uh-huh. uh, yeah, I just, at the moment, there is nothing really, just kind of my own meditation and self, um, uh, self-focus, self you know, like on, on the things what scares me. I, like, I try to understand what makes me scary to come and talk to people. Mm. And I realized mm, the biggest probably scare I have was to say something dumb. And I don't know where it's coming from, maybe from my childhood, how yeah. I was... Uh, I don't know. So that was the thing. And I say, okay, whatever happens, I'll just tell what I think. And I just realized in time that it's usually okay. People don't really judge me on anything. So They're too busy worrying about what you think of them. Huh? They're too busy worried about what you think of them. Yeah, and they don't usually think about myself anything really. So We used to, we did some challenges and we'll talk about your work soon. I just thought that some people would get... Um, uh, inspiration and power from your story of feeling afraid but still doing it that's why mm. i just asked mm-hmm. um i can't remember what i was going to talk about so we'll, we'll change the subject we, so you told me off here that you had a bit of a varying um cultural background mm-hmm. so you're born in ussr you said yeah 1985 1985 geez what was life like when you were there like do you remember or do you yeah i remember for me like being a kid uh it was a happy life really even though my family wasn't well it was quite poor i would say right like money wise um but i felt happy so as a child like i had lots of friends i i've got like school like normal school so wasn't like i don't remember anything really bad from my childhood Hmm. so i was playing video games i was yeah what was the first video game you got your hands on because you said you're a bit passionate about it yes so the first (laughs) video game so in 1994 my uncle actually in ukraine it was in ukraine my 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 uncle um gifted me the uh, kind of russian copy of zx spectrum computer uh, okay like I a russian no i have no idea it's like a, some kind of bootleg i guess <laughs> okay bootleg computer <laughs> from like russia a, okay yeah. Yeah, you know like the one which you plug into the crt television and to play any game you have to uh connect the the tape recorder and okay. put the tape inside the recorder press play and it will show you the picture so it was only one game, like some <laughs> racing game. I don't really remember. And I was, uh, I was trying, I, I was playing this game to death. And then I was bored with that. And this computer also had like a book uh, with a programming language. So I was, I was playing may- maybe for about two years, like till mm-hmm. 1996. And then I was bored. So I decided to, okay, I'll just read this book and <laughs> see if I can do something. And it hooked me up so much so since then i started huh. my kind of programming career geez so you uh, 1985 yeah 1984 i've years. got the spectrum and after two years i've got another computer already like pentium uh, 166 mmx whatever it's called i don't remember now but i started yeah i started 
So you were like 11 I was 11. Books. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because I was um, in the you USSR. Oh, USSR. What, what, what does that mean? We've been reading books since seven. I mean, like Interesting. Yeah, yeah. What is education like there? How uh, is it different? It's very tough. Interesting. Uh, like, like I have two kids here now and I see how good their education here. Even though they might not uh, read at seven, but they like learning. So and, and I hated learning because the first thing you learn in Russian school when I was a kid is a discipline. You have to sit still like five years old kid. You have to still still uh, sit still for 45 minutes. Mm. Listen to the teacher. No sounds, nothing. If you do, you just get off the class. So was it do you think there's a certain political or cultural influence of the school that meant it was more conscriptive like that, like more disciplined? Or why do you I think, think it's, it's different? from USSR. Yeah, it's, it's it's coming from USSRs. I guess it's changed now. To be honest, I don't know what's what's the current uh, situation in Russia. I haven't been there for like ten years or so. Jesus, yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. But um, yeah, discipline and lots of homework. So it's a normal for for a kid where you come back from school having I don't know eight hours, like spending eight hours at school, then coming back and spend four hours doing homework. Every single day, six days a week. Jesus, no wonder you guys don't smile much over there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, it's good from kind of maybe educational point of view because you kind of learn a lot. You're forced to learn, so that's that's the thing. You don't enjoy learning, hmm. and uh, so I hated going to school when I moved to uni. For me, it was like a breathing fresh air, you know. So uni was good. When when did you move over here? Uh, to uni. Yeah, is that what you get brought you to New Zealand university or what no, made you? No, I finished uni in Russia, in oh, a yeah. really good like in Moscow in a really good uni, um, and then but I didn't really like by that age when I grew up enough I didn't really like the political situation in Russia, so hmm. I was trying to see where I can go really because I didn't really want to live in Russia. I didn't see any. Any light, <laughs> any light at the end of the tunnel. What, what was like, I don't know, people avoid politics, but I mean, you've got a unique insight because you've got Russian and Ukrainian. Yes, and still, it's have, still, have friend, uh, still have family in Ukraine, part of it, yeah. Jesus. Well, what's, um, what was your fears around that political climate during that time? What, what is about it that you had no hope? Yeah, well, I always wanted to open my business. So that was like when I started doing develop things and I sold my first website when I was I think 11 years old it just so you're a it, child prodigy eh? it's kind of it's kind of was a friend of our family uh, he, he owned like a DNA clinic and he's seen like I'm doing stuff and he asked me like, well, like what are you doing instead of playing games I was like coding something and I said I'm just learning website coding and he said oh can you make a website for our clinic I said oh yeah sure and I didn't tell him the price. I, I seriously, I didn't even th uh, thought that he will pay me for this job because for me it was just just a fun, really. But then he paid me with my first money. Like, oh wow, nice! I enjoyed that feeling so much that uh, I was paid for the stuff I would do for free, really, so because I I kind of have passion to that. And since then, I decided, okay, I'm open my business. Well, when I grow enough, I'll open my business, I'll open my business, and I opened my business in Russia. And then when I faced um, kind of all this situation where you have, uh, like, 
it was back in time. I don't know what the current situation is, so I'm, I'll probably say something which is not really good for Russia. But <laughs> <laughs> I can see you trying to be very mindful of what you say, right? Yeah, because like for some people it might be different. But in Russia, if you want to do something, it, like there is a pro- like official procedure, which you can't really follow because you'll have a lots of obstacles, and those obstacles are everyone wants kind of something. a cat. A cut, yeah. yeah a we'll call it. Even when you are in a tender for a big project or something in Russia, it's not an open tender, usually. It's like if you have a relationship with someone who's making a decision, you negotiate the cut of the budget, of, hmm. of the project budget. And if everyone agrees, you win the tender. So that kind of stuff. Also, when you grow a company to a certain level, there are high chances if you if you don't know anyone in in uh government or in police or, or like uh, your, your business can be taken over or if your competitors know someone your business can be taken over or shut so i did i didn't really like that thing so you have to kind of especially being introverted person <laughs> yeah no connections <laughs> yeah you're <laughs> fucked <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah completely so yeah i just wanted okay i would just want to open bu- business somewhere else and i started to research and i found new zealand so like okay i'll hmm. come here for a year and wow fell in love what what um what do you think leads to that um I, I don't know if you could corruption. You mean least the corruption? Yeah. What What do you think that the situation in Russia would lead to people? No, it's corruption's everywhere and to a degree, but it's like the the level of corruption. The level is it's very high. Yeah, and yeah. I guess it's even worse now. Mm. I think personally, but I don't know. Like, but I think so. It's What's quite bad. It's probably a bad example, but like even um in Nazi Germany, a third of the informants to the government were the population. Mm-hmm. So 30% of people are, you know, watching to see if anyone's doing something fucked up and then obviously there's serious consequences for them. Mm-hmm. And Jordan Peterson was talking about how if you have some sort of uh, totalitarian, I always struggle with the word, totalitarianism, whatever, dictator setup. Yeah, 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 It seems to be a lie that festers within a society. So people continue to lie to each other and they get caught up in it. But Russia's known for being brutally honest, in my opinion. I don't know. Like inside? Yeah, what what caught, What do you think is leads to corruption like that? Or I don't know. I think it's a system, the, the general system, like in general, has to be changed completely. The first thing, uh, because government currently in Russia controls every single thing the courts, the police, everything. So they don't, um, they don't have, like, they don't run independently. So mm. that's why they just do whatever they said. And if you mm. know someone who can pay some money for cer- cer- certain things that can be done in Russia, like in Russia, even though I tried, I tried my best to get my driving license in Russia without paying a dollar, but I couldn't. So I had to pay still, even wow. though I went to a driving school, I did. I tried my best to do uh, to do all the exams and stuff, and it just wasn't possible. Interesting. Yeah, I was I was talking to a guy. He was doing work in I think it was Nigeria. It was part of Africa, and he, there was these security guards that would stop you with weapons, and you'd have to give them something like cigarettes or some sort of money mm. to help enable you to get through. So it's quite. It's interesting what leads. Uh, yeah, another thing uh, which I was always afraid of 
was the police, really. So <laughs> if you look eye to eye to the policeman, they'll stop you, and that's a trouble, really, because they can check your documents, they can uh, find something, or they can just hold you for 24 hours, like, without any pretty much reason. So <laughs> that's... That oh, was great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just on the... Do, are you hearing anything from people in Russia around being put in prison when they talk about the war? Yes, a lot. A okay. Lot. Even my wife's uh, brother was caught once. He was protesting against the war, and uh, yeah, he'd been caught. Uh, they gave him, him the warning uh, and said, "Next time, it will be a criminal conviction. So Jeez. next ne- next time you protest. So pretty much there is no th- there is no one protesting at the moment because it's not possible. You'll g- you'll be arrested straight away." Wow. How long is the criminal... Like, is it three, five years? Is it 20? Is it... I think they give them 15 years, like, for murder. Same stuff. Wow. It's crazy, yeah. Hmm. It's a very emotionally charged subject, so you feel free to wave a white flag and we don't talk about it. Um, It's a very hard subject to be measured about, you know, how um, NATO had contributed to the aggressive, you know, movement towards Russia against the agreement that we made. Mm-hmm. And then also the horrific things Russia's doing to the Ukrainian people. Mm-hmm. And then also the horrific things Ukrainians had done to, you know, the Russia component in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. W- what are your thoughts on that? Like, or don't even talk about it. Up to you, because it's horrible. Yeah, no matter what are the reasons, but I think there shouldn't be a war like this. Like, no matter what the reasons. Like, I don't really know much about, like, NADA moving close. I've heard about this now that's kind of official reason why russia started the war with ukraine but i still believe in our current development as a society we shouldn't do wars anymore right and uh the war this war is quite cruel based pretty much i get uh insights from ukrainian side i get insights from russian sides so what are you hearing what what are you like i'm I'm not sure if you heard about butch i think which was a very kind of uh big news in the world have you heard about butch like uh basically it was a little um little city in ukraine uh which uh pretty much had soldiers from both sides fighting there and then russia took it over and it was there for a couple of months, I guess, maybe like three, four months. And then, then Russia left Bucha. Um, they just found that they were raping people, they were uh, torturing people and things like that. So it was terrible, lots of uh, dead bodies and things. So it's, it, it, it's, it's terrible. Bucha is just one example. So there are lots of other examples like that. Yeah, well, I'm hearing things of, you know, something like 350,000 Ukrainians have been killed. It's hard to know the it's truth. It's hard to know, actually. Um, I I heard that hundred and forty thousand Russian soldiers are dead already, and pretty much about the same for Ukrainian side. The hardest thing for me to grasp around, like, like it's almost half a million people. Oh, it's yeah. It's just what? Yeah. No, it's, and and then you know some people aren't voluntarily in as well like they're being drafted and you know it's like the whole Wellington population being killed <laughs> yeah over war you know yeah. I guess that's the the challenging thing f- for me to grasp about it apart from the emotional turmoil and horrors that a man is inflicting on man 
is um how little the U.S. is motivated to ne- negotiate peace. Yeah, that's what I don't understand as well. They help with um, with ammunition, with with the, like they help with weapons and stuff, but it's not enough, right? So for some reason, they because I believe um, U.S. and other countries and European Union, they they can finish this war right now. Yeah. Right. And Ukraine uh, is saying same, like they have a plan what they need to be provided uh, to finish the war, like straight away. But at, at this point in time, it's kind of very strange. It's a slow war between Ukraine and Russia, while like um, y- like European Union and USA are providing just a limited amount of stuff to keep it going, you know, like put like a, a wood mm. in a fire. Mm. So, Bizarre. yeah, that's what I don't understand at this point. I hope there is a plan, but I don't know. Well, we'll, we'll move on this, away from this topic soon because it's <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> but it's just like I was looking at, I think it's called like open source or something, and it looks at how much money is being lobbied to the government. Mm-hmm. And there's something like the three major military contractors that I think even just last year put in like $12 million mm-hmm. individually towards the, the government. And guess who won those contracts um, in Ukraine? that enabled them to keep servicing the weapons and making more money. And, you know, the theory is that they're using Ukraine as a means to weaken Russia. Yeah, that's what I've heard as well. But How it's fucked up, terrible. humans? Do you have any it's faith? Terrible. No wonder you're introverted, bro. Like, everyone's <laughs> just <terrible>. fucked. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, for me now, uh, what I'm really hoping to get the war stopped and then uh, maybe find the solution in this kind of problem between Russia, Ukraine, and Russia, and other part of the world, like, have, uh, I don't know. At, at, at the moment, I don't really see any signs of getting it finished. Mm. Wow, it's crazy. Mm. So, anyways, what do you do for a living, Nash? Yeah. <laughs> Switch the topic. <laughs> nah, it's fine. I feel like we need to get out of it, because I'm yeah. somewhere between a logical man and a tinfoil hat, and I don't want to get you in trouble through my association. So... But so you you move away from Russia because yes. Of so I used to have a business in Russia for a couple of years before I moved to New Zealand. So I moved to New Zealand in two thousand in January two thousand twelve, and fifteenth uh, of August two thousand thirteen, the company was uh, registered in New Zealand when when I got my residence. Wow. Yeah. What was it like? Like you're like shit. I'm introverted and I speak the language pretty oh, good. That was but the like- hardest <laughs> part. Seriously, I didn't have ChatGPT by that time, <laughs> but that was so hard. Uh, the first year in New Zealand was a nightmare because I didn't understand anyone. Like I couldn't uh, understand what people are talking to me. But at the same time, I will, I wanted to open the business, so I had a friend who helped me uh, to read emails from clients and write them back. It was just a friend, so he wasn't employed. At, at, at that time, it was just me and my wife in the business, so <laughs> no one was there. Uh, and yeah, it took me a while. A lot of, <laughs> yeah. a lot of the shame, a lot of the uh, learning to get through that. So the first couple of years was mo- mo- like the hardest ones, I would say, uh. being a business owner and also at the same time tr- because I am the one who is talking to the clients. So that was <laughs> super hard. But what good is thing about New Zealand, no one really had any issues, even on the in, in, in the business side of things. When I had meetings, no one had issues 
with me talking like um, like making mistakes while I'm talking and things like that. So it was really good. So that was helping a lot to understand. Actually, does really matter as long as you do the good job, as long as the client is happy, and you understood what needs to be done. That's totally fine, no matter like how hmm. you talk, really. Interesting. There was a guy we had on. He came from Turkey. Mm. He didn't really know English, and um, he started doing sales door to door. Yeah. So what he did was just memorize the pitch. Okay. He didn't know any other words really. <laughs> <laughs> just pitch, 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 and then ask him a question. He's like. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, the thing is for me, which helped me a lot because I know my area very well. So I did computer science in uni, mm. right, for six years. Then I did, uh, that was my passion my whole life. I was coding in different languages. I was in this kind of area for a long time. So it was help. Uh, it was easy for me to understand what needs to be done. I like to uh, architect how it should be done and things like that. And what I found in New Zealand is really nice. Uh, when you do a good job like three times in a row, mm. you're pretty much done because they will start like all these business owners. They have connections with each other. Sometimes they, I don't know, they know uh, each other from schools and stuff like that. So that's how we've got our first clients. We are building a a complex IT services and solutions. So what we call it bespoke uh, solutions tailored to your business needs. So it's pretty much when you run a business in any area, uh, especially if there are no any other products in this area and you want to bring something to the market, you can't really use, um, I don't know, like CMS for your website or our different like um, different tools and connect them together. It just won't be effective enough. So we build it from the ground. And hmm. that could include mobile apps, web, uh, backends, uh, artificial intelligence, like 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 whatever. We've been doing uh, so many stuff in a completely different businesses, hmm. so it was pretty good. How, how do you how do you get good at everything? You know what I'm saying? It's not about good at ev- so that's what drives me to be honest to understand, especially like when you start working in the business area and you'd have no idea about the area. But you start researching, you start to understand how this business. Obviously, I talk to the client and understand how their business work. We like how we usually start. We just see what the operation is, that what the current operation is, and then uh, and what they want to achieve. Like, what's their end goal? Uh, are they going to uh, I don't know to open their business to a different target audience, or they want to automate their current operations? Uh, depending on that, uh, we just research and then come up with some solutions hmm. which we discuss uh, we have a very detailed process which every project goes through and again this project was changed multiple times uh to basically deliver what the client wants because that's that's the biggest issue in our in, in our industry because you can you can get the brief you can read it through it's really it's written nice um and, but you can understand a completely different and even it the client who writes the brief might think completely differently so that's why we had to make sure this brief is converted to the stuff which we call functional um uh, prototype uh, or we call it like high fidelic wireframes it's our first stage yeah that sounds fancy yeah you just make high fidelic wireframes yes exactly so that's um it's basically where you take a client's ideas you take all the functionality which this product should do and then uh map it to a very detailed user interface not a design yet but just in a kind of a functional blocks uh 
to show the client all the user journeys, journeys, everything what the person will be able to do. So they will give us uh, understanding on uh, like what needs to be built really. And then it goes to design, then it goes to development hmm. and stuff like that. But the first stage, which is very important, uh, we call it user experience design, but lots of people just mean completely different things by saying that. It's like for us, user experience design is basically how easy for the user would be to achieve uh, the particular goals which your product should do, right? That's interesting. I was talking to a guy just before, actually. Um, mm-hmm. I think application.co.nz or yep. something. You might know them. No. Um, and he was talking about using the agile method and minimal viable product. Um, <laughs> but yours sounds a little different. Yours is different, more like yeah. a completed functionality. Uh, we do like we can do agile as well and we used to do it if if usually it's driven from the client side like for air new zealand for example we had to be agile we had to kind of do the releases every every two weeks and stuff like that um but in terms of um what was agile and what was the other one you said agile and it was me just agile and like you have minimal viable product. yeah an mvp yes minimal viable product if it's a startup Funded startup, uh, we have like we had quite a few, and which we did like work for. Um, we usually do MVP first, yes, because if it's an, if if it's just an idea and this product has never been to the market, this idea, then it's way better to do the minimal viable product, see <laughs> what is the response from the market, and then build on top. But it's very important to build this MVP right because in a lot of the situations, you build the MVP, but you can't really grow on that foundation. So when you need to change the product, it's either rewriting it from scratch to actually change uh, the business rules inside the projects and stuff like that. And that's what we found a lot uh, with other companies. But we try to do that right from the beginning. So pretty much the majority of our clients are with us at the moment, which is good. We're still supporting them. And that's basically um, where we get the majority of money at the moment, right, to run the business. Yeah, it's interesting what led to you uh, applying that approach because it makes sense. Like if, if you're an established business, you have an idea of what you're trying to achieve, and but it's hard for you to conceptualize that far ahead so you kind of need to see it. Mm-hmm. And then you're not sure how people will behave when they use it. Yeah. So you actually need to take them through. Yeah. What, what led to you going to that model? Like what made you, is that why? Basically, because they can see it, play around with it, and then you can build on it or... Well, I'm perfectionist, you oh, know, yeah. I can't really do. And uh, my wife, she's doing a UI and UX design. So she's perfection. Pretty much everyone in our team at the moment are perfectionists. So mm. they, we can't really do like fast and bad job. And we talk client upfront. Like if you need to do something in two months, it's not us. Just go with someone else. We will do, we'll build you a foundation, even, even though it's an MVP, but we'll build you a foundation later on, which will save you a lot of money and headaches. Um, our biggest app, which we currently, which we developed initially and, um, and, and still supporting for a couple of years already, uh, have 500, uh, five, half a million users. So it's pretty big, right? And it's worldwide users. So it's across the world. So if we wouldn't put the right technologies up front, we would, ha- we, we would have to redo it from scratch when they hit like certain point, like 10,000 users or like 25,000 users. <laughs> It's very easy to spoil things up. Like when your uh, solution is not ready for high loads, then 
you're pretty much done. You reach certain point, and it would be very hard to change the infrastructure behind it, especially keeping user data safe. Keep like that the people will be able to migrate to even if you rewrite the product right from scratch. You have to think about the migration. Uh, if the database structure was poorly developed, then it would be much harder work to do. So <laughs> it's way better to do the MVP at least, at least just keeping following the best uh, practices that are established in the industry already. This is, this is because I never talk about this shit because I'm not very tech savvy, but I, I, I like to see what lead to the ideation, what lead to someone thinking that way. Um, what, what is the, the cost? Uh, how do you ensure that you've made the right thing? Because you're going like, hey, let's go all in a little bit and mm-hmm. get a lot further along. How do you navigate the not getting too far away from what they want part? Uh, as I said, like we have a f- uh, seven stages which the product goes through. The first one, when we just sit with the client or read their brief and write down all the functionalities that uh, the service should do. Uh, if it's multiple platform like mobile apps, web, uh, backends, we'll write for each individual kind of a platform. We'll write everything which just a simple simple words like user registration, registration with Apple or registration with Facebook, sign up, all sorts of things, forgot password things. So we just put all of that. Um, then obviously there is an input from the client. So they, they tell us what they want. We map that all together. Then we move to the next stage, which is high fidelic uh, wireframes design. High fidelic wireframes, yeah. 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 Uh, where we put uh, uh, like take all, all of that and map into the very detailed user interface but in a functional box, no design yet, right? Uh, we also do branding, so because a lot of their, especially if it's a startup, they don't have anything, they don't have name, they don't have logo, or they might have name, but they don't have logo, they don't have brand colors and stuff like that. They don't have font, they don't have mm-hmm. anything. So we package it all up uh, and develop those guidelines for anyone else. Like if there will be a marketing agency involved later on, they just use the branding guidelines and everything goes within the brand, So, which is very important as well. <clears throat> Yeah, so uh, once we sign off that UX stage, we move to the UI design, but the client already have a full understanding how the product will work at least. We even had um, we had um, a project in a commercial driving in New Zealand. So basically, uh, we completely automated um, the middle um, agency between the people who wants to hire a commercial driver for anything like for forklifting for uh, bus driving like for anything and the driver itself because uh, a lot of the companies who don't need drivers on everyday basis they don't have them and they use those agencies as um as a kind of commercial driver providers Mm. so we automated one of those uh, agencies completely so companies now go to a specific website they book the jobs the drivers get a job notification they do all the payments went through this so it's just fully automated solution Mm. so with them what we've done because it was completely new to the market to new zealand and actually to the world it's like uber for commercial driver Mm. so this you uh, when we did the ux stage the client was able to validate it with drivers and companies so we had a workshop where we invited drivers in the first place uh showed them what their app would look like uh what how it, it can function and we, we collected their feedback and iterated on that feedback multiple times and same with companies so that allowed us to actually deliver what people <laughs> want yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating project that one. Do 
do you um do you think about how to get quality feedback in a sense do you focus less on what they say and more on how they interact with it it's a bit of both actually oh yeah so what they say uh it's it's just a matter how many people you are asking if it's just two people that's not enough it has to be at least 15 20 people and then you collect the feedback see if it's a common issue like uh which people are facing uh and you hear it from 10 like half like 50 percent you have to do something about it that means it's not clear for the user how to use a particular functionality of the product I, I was something I've had to learn lately is um, context flips and priorities. Mm-hmm. I, I find the most successful people I'm around are the ones that lever their time the best. They don't mm-hmm. have, they don't work harder. They just use a stronger lever. Mm-hmm. How, what What's the process you go through to identify what should be done next? Do you have steps for that, or how you do mean you for pro- the product? Yeah, it, it's all defined on a first stage. Like uh, when when we do the UX wireframes, high fidelity UX wireframes. <laughs> sounds <laughs> cool. Did like you make it up? Or? I don't remember where it <laughs> came it sounds from. Cool. It sounds really cool. It's coming from <laughs> I think from the music industry, isn't it? Like high fidelity sound. Was it like? Okay, you're the one that made the word. I've never heard it in my life. So no, there is one. I even seen an ad. High fidelity something. Hmm. I think it's coming from the audio, like high fidelic audio means like very clear and crisp. Okay, audio. so you make I it guess so. Yeah. I just like how it sounds. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah, you like saying it. It actually, it actually shows what we do with all wireframes because if if I say wireframes, in like a lot of the people minds, it would be like a blocks with crosses, you know, like without, without you can make you can any it. content at all. And for us at this stage, we already need to have when we are putting all the content as well. So you can actually basically pretty much see the functional prototype of the product. We spend a lot of time on that stage, but it allows us to deliver, which yeah. is the main thing, right? Oh, valid. I'm, I'm just thinking as well, you've done um, 36 minutes, so you're hanging in. You're doing well on your podcast. The, what do you think are the pros and cons of perfectionism? So, you know, there's a saying paralysis by analysis. Mm-hmm. It's probably a contributor to your fear of talking to people. You know, yeah. you want it to be perfect and not make a mistake. Yeah. How do you navigate creativity and perfectionism? Like, you know, failing and trying, and, and but everything needs to be perfect. What has been your challenges as, a, I guess, a leader? The biggest challenge is to understand when you need to stop because <laughs> especially when you develop something or design something, uh, you can make it better and better forever, pretty much. This mm. process will never end, right? So you need to find the right balance between the level of perfectionism, the quality and time frame, which is required to actually achieve that. So it has to be balanced. And I guess, I guess in time, I just, I just learned it really well for myself. Hmm. And um, yeah, I think that like at this stage, I clearly understand, clearly, clearly see what needs to be done to deliver the particular project. I'm really good in estimations now, like for our process. Hmm. Estimation is very hard. Like uh, when you estimate the project, especially in our contract i always thought it's it's a good thing for the client because i was thinking from the client point of view like if you sign a, cro- uh, a contract for the product and then uh when the project reached 70 percent, the company would tell you oh we actually run out we just underestimated the project we run out all the money we can't move forward unless you pay us more or we're done sorry so i thought it's not fair for us because especially for those clients who might not be tech savvy they don't understand they kind of 
they want the product it's your mistake that you underestimated the project so we always have in our contract that if we underestimated the project we complete it in our own costs <laughs> yes <laughs> some projects were a nightmare we <laughs> doubled up the cost and uh, yeah jesus yes so so what have you learned what's the process that goes through your mind in determining the appropriate price in a way or time frame to finish um so how it works in, in in our team first like the first stage we when we discuss when we have that kind of uh functionalities just a list not not ux yet just a list of functionalities we just sit together and brainstorm like everyone uh will just fire some ideas like how this like how, how long this particular functionality will take blah 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 then i'll take all of that and pretty much double it <laughs> so that's pretty much that's your, that's your secret system well it's not it's just <laughs> it's just experience really uh, uh and yeah. in reality it turns it, it turned out to be very accurate like interesting quite accurate just double up whatever developers are saying <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. do, do you um i guess because Offie you talked about you know you help these larger projects and you know they're not cheap because you know perfection is quality you gotta pay for what you get was there a, a mind shit mindset shift you had to go through to feel that you could charge that price or how do you rationalize it in your mind that yeah five million you know ten thousand or hundred bucks yeah i guess what you're saying when we just started uh i felt like oh probably we're charging too much it was like fifty dollars an hour or something it was <laughs> yeah. like seriously uh but then um i always wanted to kind of achieve some kind of success and i measured success in a way like i wanted to hire people i wanted to have an office and we used to have like a beautiful office in ponsonby before the covid right and all of that and i always wanted and and for, for me it was a success like if i have a, my dedicated office space i have people coming to the office every day working for me we had lunches together so for me it was like oh a dream life right and uh, I just realized to do that, actually, to hire someone, I have to increase the price. So I have to increase the price. But what would make it right price? So the first prices that like um, we increase the price multiple, t like many times, I would say, along this journey. And um, uh, for me, it was um, like we usually charge less than other agencies, but we did a really good job. So that was, um, it, but it was really depending whom will you compete with, right? There could be some smaller agencies, bigger agencies. Mm. We're still not charging probably same as biggest agencies in New Zealand, right? But What's the biggest number you've ever heard in New Zealand? In IT or? Yeah, whatever or, or, one. Well, lawyers. Are lawyers. Are taking, I don't know, 750 an hour? Yeah. What? <laughs> now, but like a lump sum of like three mil or some shit, you know? Like, what's the. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, yeah. I used to have divorce a. Divorce lawyers. Like, grand. I had to. Well, even business lawyers as well. Like, <laughs> I had a lawyer. Like, we had some uh, disputes for the office space long time ago. And I hired a lawyer. And I paid two $2,500 for an email. Like, wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Chat GPT wrote it as well. <laughs> Chat GPT was not a thing. <laughs> I, mean, oh, yeah. I would probably. Did your friend thing. read it to you so you understood it? <laughs> No, 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 no. It was already like I was already. You're on it. Yeah, on like on myself. <laughs> well, my friend was only helping for like a year, maybe. Jeez, that. Do you reward your friend now for all the dedication? Ah, or? he moved to Australia. Ah, well, <laughs> fuck it. Yeah, you got yours. Oh wow. Well, what was um? I'd be curious as well just to go back because um, 
I've yet to meet business owners that haven't faced adversities and I'm yet to meet humans that haven't faced adversity. And business is more people, more complexities and more responsibility. Yeah. What what happened in COVID and what was it like? And you're like, oh my God, my life is over. Or No, for me, COVID was a very good thing, actually. I enjoyed the lockdown. Yeah, me too. In a way, too. yeah. Because like for me, uh, before the COVID, I was rushing. I was, and I was in this kind of rush for a very long time. I didn't even realize how much stress I am Hmm. before the COVID actually. Um, And then when the first lockdown happened, it was like quite quickly, I remember, because I didn't really follow the news that much. I've heard about COVID something, but I was like, ah, come on, what can happen? Some kind (laughs) of disease, like we have so many like different diseases around. And then I was was driving to New World, I remember like 10 p.m., and on the radio, uh, the person said, ah, it's a lockdown from tomorrow. All, everything will be closed. Like, what? It was like 10 p.m. Like, I called my wife, like, we need to do, like, groceries and stuff. Like, <laughs> everything will be shut. And she said, no, no, groceries should be open. I said, oh, okay, we'll see. So, yes, uh, for me, it was good because, first of all, we moved to home. Everyone was on hold. Like, everything was on hold. Everyone mm. was at home. No one was really working that much. All our projects, which we were uh, working on, they've put on hold, on pause. So, money-wise, it was a bit scary, but New Zealand government actually helped a lot um, uh, during that first lockdown stuff. Then, some of our projects, which were built for our client grew up so much during the COVID thing because it was fitness industry mm. and people start to work out at home. <laughs> so it just boosted up some products really, really well. But for me personally, I enjoyed the time when I could just sit, think about my life really, <laughs> spend some uh, quality time with kids, with family. And that was was a really good kind of like a vacation for me. Like because even when I go to vacation, my laptop, my laptop is with me because mm. I can't really let it go for like completely and uh, and shut down really myself from thinking about the work. But COVID was was that time when I could do that, and that was really nice hmm. for myself. I'm waiting for the part where you have less employees. That part, is it? yes, <laughs> we had to shrink. Uh, mm. But again, that was a good actually thing which happened to the business because I think. Like when we had 12 people, it was very hard to manage. The payroll payroll was very high. So it was it was very stressful. Like I even had uh, in a situation when I had to pull money from mortgage to pay employees. Yes, so yeah. I, like I was in that situation as well. But COVID also helped me to think about the business, to think about how to restructure it. Another thing which uh, COVID helped us all to understand, like from my team, that we are way more effective working from home rather than working from the office. And the problem with the office, because we like uh, like people are chatting a lot with each other, they get distracted. Someone can put on music, uh, we go for lunch and stuff like that. So it was fun. It was nice to do that. But from the productivity point of view, it actually you're making you basically less productive mm. when you work from home. I, I understand it's not maybe for everyone, but if you can work from home and you can structure your day so you can actually work, then like everyone in, in my team pretty much it's like enjoyed it hmm. a lot. So I'm after the second lockdown. Oh no! After the first lockdown, our lease period of the office was about to finish, and we just agreed with everyone like we'll just keep 
working from home. We do work from libraries every single week for one day. <laughs> uh, like I live in Hobsonville, so there is a very good new library in uh, Westgate. Oh, yeah. It's like a co-working space, free co-working space. <laughs> yeah. you come there, take off the tables, and you're good. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, because um, uh, with this um, new business, um, a lot of the workers are probably going to be remote. Hmm. And I, I worry about the the lack of humanity in that sense, like, you know what I mean? That's like, why we do one day a week. Yeah. Because <laughs> you're and human. That's the yeah. last productive day, I can tell you. Uh, uh, but it's a good day to kind of come up with news and uh, talk to people, have food together, all sorts of things. Well, it's, almost, it's almost like, you know, one step backwards to two steps forward. So mm. you, you think about there's a finite level of productivity and creativity mm-hmm. and humans aren't robots. So eventually they burn out. But yeah, my concern is like, you know, we got this guy working in India and he's a legend and he hustles and I've never had to motivate staff because, you know, they're motivated by their dreams and mm-hmm. I just focus on trying to help them achieve that and they work hard. Um, but yeah, you know, you're in front of a computer a lot. You're not necessarily, if you're introverted as well, navigating friendships and connections being able to create a space where people can share mm-hmm. and, and support each other. Also innovation. Mm-hmm. He came up with the idea of like, Hey, at 3 PM, why don't we just like edit together? Mm-hmm. So we're sharing ideas. He knows where I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. And the, the rate of growth was exponential. Well, I don't know. But. Yeah, I totally understand it. I totally get it. And for me, uh, there was a reason why I wanted the office in the first place to actually be able to share the experience, to be able to communicate on certain things. And it helped with something. But nowadays, we can actually jump into Zoom together, have like see faces of each other. Sometimes I spend on Zoom calls like half a day, hmm. right? Just, just, just talking to my team. And we, because we are in a very exciting position at the moment for mm. us as a business. Because we stopped, um, we stopped getting new clients a year ago. We just say no to everyone, hmm. which is kind of <laughs> cool. <laughs> like my business advice, like what are you doing? Uh, but if, like all the free time we have, we actually put towards our own products. We already launched two. Oh, yeah. Which are getting some revenue in already. Do you want to plug them? You can plug them if you want. Yeah, like one of them is a just hatched application, which is um, a, it's, it's an app allowing young parents or just any parents really to track your baby development uh, through <laughs> sleep tracking, feed, like uh, feeding tracking, uh, nappy tracking, like whatever, all sorts of stuff. <laughs> That's one of them. And another one, because I'm a gamer <laughs> and not just myself, I would say four of us are gamers in my team uh and i'm in particular nintendo guy so i used to have like my first video console was super nintendo so very exciting i was super excited as a kid uh having that um so nintendo i have but i i don't know if you heard about uh the little toys called amiibo have you heard about those no no yeah it's a very niche market but they sell those stores for 25 dollars each um and they've got an nfc chip in it so previously it was not possible to scan the toy with a phone and read this nfc data because nfc was locked in iphones it was available on on androids like the apps like this but after, do you know what WWDC is? Or like Worldwide Developer Conference? No, no? I'm learning I, so much in this chat. Yeah, so every year, Apple, Google, Microsoft, and big 
those IT kind of leaders, they have their conferences where they, they pretty much tell us what the next iOS will do, what the next Android will do, what capabilities you'll, you'll be able to use as a developer. And uh, then after that, usually for a couple of weeks, they have online sessions where they explain stuff in details. So when I've heard that NFC is going to be opened, uh, I'm like, okay, okay, that's cool. And then I had, um, I had an employee uh, who is a big fan of those little toys, and he said, let's, write, let's just try to write an app. And all the other apps which they're on the market at this stage for Android, they've been done because the market is very niche, um, mm. like not professional at all. And we mm. put all our professional, <laughs> all our experience into this thing. And now we're number one, seriously, like in mm. the world for those toys. <laughs> right, Nama. Yeah, wow. to collect those toys. So people are using that uh, as a kind of collection manager app. And, but also there is a cool functionality which allows you, because those toys, like how they work, sorry, I didn't explain, but how they work, they have an NFC chip in it. And then um, you can actually put it on your console say nintendo switch or nintendo 3ds and get something in the game usually it's not something which you make you like invincible or something it's not really big but maybe like a kind of some cosmetic stuff or maybe a little bit money things like that and usually you can uh, use those toys once a day uh, so our app allows you to buy those ntag 215 kind of chips and copy those toys to those cards so when you travel you just take lead like 25 small cards or small coins like this very very thin with you and you can use your toys but you don't have to carry like the bag of toys with you <laughs> if, if, if you are a player yeah random okay and then how do you monetize that what oh we didn't oh you just gave it that was the funny thing uh we've made um we've made uh do you know reddit probably yeah, yeah reddit know, of yeah. yes uh, so they have a subreddit for these kind of amiibo lovers and I think it's called Amiibo Lovers as well, I guess. <laughs> so we've made a post there, like we've built this app and uh, people started to use it. Uh, we started to collect feedback from the Reddit. Then I understood that actually the amount of feedback or just saying, thank you, the app looks gorgeous, exactly what I want, blah, blah, blah. We have more than thousands, more than 1,200 reviews in the App Store, five stars. Wow, for niche and as well. Yeah, yeah for niche. and or just comments and reviews are way more than that. Or it's, it's just ridiculous how it's automatically, we didn't put any ads for this. Mm. We just went up and we started to listen to people. We started to implement new features. We opened up a Twitter account. Uh, we started <laughs> to build a small community. <laughs> Other people started to build their small communities like in discords, which we didn't really manage. We didn't even have anything. Uh, to do with them and they just ask us hey kid like uh, i have a question from like my community page like how to do that thing or we started to write tutorials the app started to grow now we are working on the second version and we're also doing a physical device which we also engineered and now uh maybe in <laughs> four to five months we'll bring to market the physical device will allow you instead of having those coins you just can copy all your Amiibo library to this one device and you can switch between them and use it in the games. So Random. Interesting. And then that you'll charge to buy that device and is that we, what's your plan? A device or? will be, yes, obviously paid. Uh, the app is just one off. You just pay $5. One ah, off. so you can get... Okay. So yeah. I, I was just curious the... I'm curious about like the monetization model. Yeah, we tried different strategies. The first idea was to charge subscription that community didn't really like that 
Mm. Uh, all other apps, they've, they've been one off. We've been like, oh, okay, we just do subscription based because uh, it's uh, it's common. And I had a fear that everyone, because it's a very niche market, so I don't know, a thousand people will buy the app and that's it, well, that will be it. <laughs> but the app is live for three years already and we're still getting quite a decent, I would say maybe like 4,000 a month or something for this app just for sales. What are oh, the buying new ones? Yeah. At five dollars. Yes. A thousand, five thousand. That's not a bad that's, that's not, not a bad, bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you're just thinking so the subscription model, do you do you ever think about well, I guess it's a very niche audience, but uh, the other app is subscription based. The uh the feeding app is subscription based, it's more expensive than five dollars, but it's got way more functionality. It was much harder to do. Random. That's an interesting and do you enjoy this more than getting clients or what? Absolutely, way more. <laughs> <laughs> it's because like what I find myself very hard dealing with clients, even though I love all my clients since we have a very good relationship with them. Uh, you always need to find the compromise between what you know is better to do or you think is better to do and them know and think is better to do. So it has to be a compromise. So with your product, you can test your idea. And if it's successful, then say, yes, I I was thinking right, hmm. but with the clients, it's it's always the case. Uh, there is no. I think only once in our life, uh, the client just gave us everything. They said, "That's what I want. Just do it. I just trust your experience. I just trust, and we want two gold awards with this product in Australia and New Zealand. Hmm. Wow, like number one. Yeah. Well, I think I think this is a, a beautiful end to the podcast. A dramatic conclusion. Yeah. So thank you for coming on. Oh, was it? Was it? Was that, that was it? Was we, we're done because if you end it, it helps for retention if you just end it suddenly. Yeah. So thanks for coming on. Cool. Thanks for having me. It was, it was pretty good. I yeah. was worried a bit in the beginning, but like, how would you talk <laughs> if I say something dumb? You know? <laughs> yeah, you did well, brother. We did well. Bomb. <laughs>